Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Parents, can we really have it all? A thriving career, time with our significant other, or relationships with our kids? Lori, Oberblockling is a wife, mom of four, author, photographer, and corporate leader. Lori helps parents, especially moms, who want to be extraordinary, present, and have an amazing career. So how can you find harmony amid the daily grind? Lori shares insights from her book, Secrets of Supermom. But dads, this book also applies to us as well. In it, she covers real-life strategies parents can begin implementing today. A key takeaway is how we explore setting routines for homework and household tasks that can make life easier and eliminate power struggles and conflict. We also address the guilt we feel as parents and the stress it places on the entire family. Please enjoy my conversation with Lori Oberbrockling. Well, Laura... Well, there, there I go. I, 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 we're talking about before we hit record about getting names right, and I call you Lori or Laura, and it's Lori, <laughs> and I'm more worried about your last name. So, Lori Overbrockling, yes. welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. How's well, that, that for an intro? Introduction. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> uh, I'll be sure to tell uh, Matthew Passy, my producer, not to edit that that part out. So. Um, you know, it it like we were just talking like before we hit record, like the most nerve wracking point of my of the conversation I have with people is just getting their names right. And it's like it's so true. Yeah. And people are like, why is that so nerve wracking? Like, it's like you're good with names, Paul. Like, you know, everybody. I'm like, well, I I don't know. It's just something about like that opening intro where Lori Oberbrockling, like, come on. As soon as we're live, then it's like, Ugh! yeah. <laughs> Well, welcome to the show. Um, I heard you on another podcast for from Marissa Lonick, who I think will be on my show at some point here in the near future. And I know you have your own podcast as well. And we'll, we'll get into all that. But um, I think your story is, is pretty unique. And I think the audience is really going to enjoy this conversation because you're a mom of four. You've written this incredible book, The, the Super Mom Superpowers. And I can't wait to get into that. And we'll see if you have any tips for people like me that are are dads. But I know there's a lot of uh, parents that listen to the show. And and I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and dig into to your expertise. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to excited to be here. Yes, I, uh, I am. I'm a mom of four. I have a 13, an 11, a nine, and a six-year-old. And you space those out pretty good. <laughs> we, we tried to have there, we've got about six and a half years top to bottom. So we tried to give ourselves enough time, but not too much time so that you kind of get 
used to being out of the baby stage before you have to get back in. We were like, when we're, if we're going to do this, we're really going to do this. So yes, we, uh, so yes, we are. I just told a woman the other day, we are in the sweet spot right now. Like I wish I could pause time because we're out of baby toddler stage. We are not yet fully into teen stage. We're just in this really sweet spot that if I could just pause, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I think back and Teresa, I think puts this the most eloquently is that, you know, the early years were physical exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Now we're into the years where it's mental exhaustion. 100%. And Way I think more we're, mental than physical. Yeah. And we're still kind of like transitioning through that. And so our, our triplets will be 13 in December and our plus one um, Mackenzie will be 11 in October. So, and you know, the other thing I, I mentioned too, before we hit record is, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this quite a bit today is the life transitions that people go to go through, I think, and I probably say this almost every show now, I think most people, especially parents, underestimate the amount of transitions they go through at any point in time in their lives. And because I think about like this year, like we have Mackenzie transitioning from, you know, last year of grade school, and then she'll be in middle school next year with the triplets. This is this was our first year with them having different schools. Now they'll be oh. at the same school together. Yes. And you don't, you don't think about those things until like you're in the throes of it. And then it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is different. And then, you know, with every transition, there's, there's good and bad with it, but it's, it's more transition. It's like, we're always in a state of transition. There's always a change. I I remember when I had three drop-offs, right? Three drop-offs and three pickups because <laughs> I had kids at three different places and that was wild. And so I am very, we, I have all four kids in one school right now, which is amazing. And so I am taking full advantage of that feeling because as soon as high school starts, it changes again. And, but I feel like we're even, you know, I spoke to some women this week, I was at a conference. And so I got to speak with a lot of women and I talked to women that are either just past empty nest or right in the middle of it. Some kids are gone and some kids are still home. And even that's a transition. And one, one, the oldest was getting married and that's a transition. And so I wonder if you ever, if it ever stops with the transition with your family. I don't think so. I don't think so. I would agree with you because Doing what I do as a financial advisor, I work with people all across the spectrum from people our age to younger, to older, to retirees. And the ones that have kids, which is obviously the, the vast majority, it's like that that adage that you never stop being a parent is completely true. I mean, it doesn't matter if... So I turn full disclosure, this is we're recording this on Wednesday, May 10th. Tomorrow, May 11th, I'll be 47. And Ooh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. And, <laughs> and and ironically, I have like two other clients that have the same birthday <laughs> and a oh my girl goodness. at my bus stop, one of the little girls at my bus stop, same birthday, which is pretty cool. But it's like you, I'm 47. I'm a grown person now, but I know, you know, my, my actual parents and my like, uh, parents that aren't necessarily my parents, they, they still parent. They still, yeah. they never, it never, it never stops, never stops. Yeah. Yeah. It just changes, right? It's a yeah. different, it's different. It's, but all the same. It's uh, it, yeah, I I'm looking forward to lots of adventures and lots of craziness. And I'm sure there's so many things to come that I have not even learned yet and I'm ready. I will learn them. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it's challenging and amazing and so hard and all the things in between. 
Well, going back to that whole drop-off thing, like I grew up, I'm not sure where you grew up, but I grew up in a very rural part of Michigan. And then and to make that even better, like I spent, you know, part of my summer vacations on a dairy farm milking cows in Wisconsin. Uh, so I've, I've got a, a, you know, solid farming background. But my 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 school, public school, Michigan, where I went, K through 12 was all in one building. Like oh I graduated high school, I think like 28 kids. So this like changing, you know, elementary schools and then changing middle schools and then into high school, like, like I, I really struggle with, you know, how to talk to my kids about that transition. I'm, Teresa, my wife has gone through that because she grew up here in Metro Detroit. Um, but that's, that's really interesting because they, it's like, it's a, it, they really make a big deal out of like, you know, going from fifth grade to sixth grade and eighth grade to ninth grade. And I'm like, I never knew that. I'm like, I was yeah. a kindergarten walking the halls with like 12th graders. Yeah. You saw them every day. So it was yeah. no big deal, yeah. but you're right. It is a big deal. And when I went to school, we just automatically went to the next level, right? Like you automatically went to this high school that was in your area. And in my area now, there are lots of high school options. Mm -hmm. People go to lots. Of, so our school kids, our eighth graders all go to different high schools. And that is, and I totally get your like stress and not knowing how, really what to do, because that's me. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this because it's just, you grew up one way. And if you didn't have any other experience, it's really hard to hard. put your mind in that area where you go, okay, now what would I feel like? How would this be? What would I need to talk about? And yeah, you kind of have to step into those shoes that you've never been in. So um, I'd even ask you this question. Like, so where did we find you at today? Yeah, I am in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, this is actually, I grew up in the outskirts of Phoenix. So I grew up here, went to grad school in LA, moved to Austin and met my husband and then moved back here when we got married uh, because we wanted to have children close to my family. So there are, we have our 16th baby cousin coming uh, this, this month or next month coming wow. very soon. Um, and so my four are, you know, part of a, this group of 16 and they vacation together and have an amazing time together and love each other. And so that has been, you know, coming back was, was the right thing to do. Uh, despite the crazy summers, it is, uh, it's a pretty it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it's so hot. <laughs> yeah, I remember like getting so much pressure, I don't know, 18, 17 years ago from my mother-in-law about, okay, when are you and Teresa going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? I'm like, at this point, we don't know if we're going to have kids. Then it became, okay, we're going to have one kid. And then we end up with four. And then my brother-in-law um, just had their fourth, four boys, uh, <gasps> all boys, four boys. So uh, my mother-in-law, who had just two kids, one of grandkids, got eight. Got eight. <laughs> it's a bonus. It's a lot of children. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's fun and chaotic and loud. So loud. Yeah. So very loud. Yes. So um, <laughs> here we are, like, probably, like, I don't know, five, ten minutes in our conversation. That, and the audience knows nothing about you and who you are. So yes. why don't why don't I turn it over to you and and have you have you give us a, a an idea of like who Lori is not Laura Lori and <laughs> and, and your background and then kind of we'll start getting into uh, into your book and and some really uh, I think good topics to discuss. Sure. So of course I'm Lori Oberbreckling. Um, I have four children, as we said, and I'm living in Phoenix, but I am also in my day job. I am a corporate leader. And when the pandemic hit being a corporate leader, having a team, having, um, 
four children that I now needed to homeschool. All of these things happened. And one thing that I realized was that some moms, so I was on a lot of mom groups, right? A lot of mom text strings. I realized that some moms were seeming to do okay. Like they went, okay, time to pivot. We've got to do some things differently. And then some moms were kind of just really falling apart. And of course, no one was really thriving. We all had lots of emotional things going on, but there were things that moms were doing differently. And I wanted to know what those were. And so I surveyed and interviewed almost 200 moms, asked a lot of questions, uh, all sorts of moms, moms that stayed at home, moms that worked, moms that worked full-time, moms that had part-time jobs. And I asked a whole lot of questions and was able to pull together this book called Secrets of Supermom that is 16 chapters, 16 secrets of things that those women that were feeling like they were kind of handling it, that they were doing differently, that were helping them do things differently. And that turned into a podcast and some programs and a membership and all of these other things. But it really is to help moms figure out those pieces that are not working so that they can apply them and so that things can work better in their lives. So we'll be sure, um, listeners, that we link to Lori's book and um, website in our show notes. So um, be sure to check that out. That's interesting that you because that was going to be my uh, follow-up question was what was the diversity of the population that you interviewed? And it sounds like you covered just about everybody. Yeah. I really wanted to see what, you know, were there specific differences? That was not true, right? There were not really there. Of course, people were spending their time, like their numbers of hours of time differently, but the things that they were doing differently, things like asking for help in their family and outside their family, things like working on confidence, their own inner confidence to help their children, things like habits that they had, routines, systems, all of those things, they did not matter. They, The women that felt like things were really working had those things in place. Did you, in, in as part of the, the people that you interviewed, the moms you interviewed, were they spread all across the country and like yeah, rural and urban areas? Um, I don't think I had anybody outside the U.S. I think it was 100% U.S.-based population. But yes, there were women um, that lived in bigger cities. There were women that lived in smaller towns. Um, there were women, you know, across across not every single state, but across the states. Um, and so I really just kind of wanted to see what what are we doing? What's what's working? And then really what what has not been working? Where you know where are we really struggling? Yeah, because I think back to that. And just in listening to you to, to make that point, I think like where you live, especially during the pandemic, <clears throat> could make a really big difference, whether you are urban or rural and what 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 climate you were in. Cause like here in Michigan, yeah, March is <laughs> can be really brutal. Like miserable. We, yeah. We can go like weeks without seeing the sun. No joke. And uh so I I remember like people wanting to get like outside and it's still like being snow and rain and cold. And it's like, how do you drag yourself out? But then it's like, how do you just stay in your house any for another minute? Yeah. Yeah. You feel trapped. So how did, um, so you, the, the book came about because you just had this natural interest, if you will, in figuring out how you know, mom's work. Is that, yeah. is, would that it be? It really was. It, so in my mind. Since Cause that's I'm a big child, initiative. Like just yeah, to like, really I'm going to like take this yeah. on. I'm like, I'm gonna okay, so what did your yeah. husband think about this project? He, so, oh, I'll tell you that story. So in my mind, I always loved the idea of writing a book from being a child. I, I thought it would be fun to write a book. 
but never did I have an actual idea that I felt like was a tangible idea that could create a book. So the, the thought it was never like, you know, it, it wasn't like the, the idea to write a book came out of nowhere, but the idea for a book for the actual content sort of came out of nowhere. And I started having these ideas. And then I saw a couple of programs. I thought, oh my goodness, I think I could do this. I think I could actually do this. And I went to my husband. I remember I sat down in his office and I said, I think I want to write a book. And he was like, what? <laughs> like I, this was not a dream that I had con- conversed with him. We were not talking about me writing a book. It wasn't like for years I had kind of like put a bug in his ear. No, there were no bugs in any ear. Like he had no idea that this was a dream or a thought of mine. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so it, it came you know, out of left field for him. It really did. But he knows that if I have an idea that I really am passionate about, I will make it happen. Like he does know that, that I, you know, if I say I'm going to do this, then he knows I will do it. So he was like, okay, let's do this. Uh, so, so we wrote the book or I wrote the book and it happened very quickly. Um, I went through a program that I had a goal to write it in 30 days. I really just wanted to sort of sprint it out. Um, and, and that's what works for me often is that I can put a lot of effort in very consistent, not sort of hemming and hawing and going back and forth. If I just say, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. That works for me. And so 34 days later, I had a book. Um, I, I needed lots of editing and formatting and all those things after that. But it was, um, it was, it just, once I had the idea, all the ideas came. So that's interesting. You, you actually found some kind of program that was designed to have you get through writing a book in 30 days. Yes. One, where did you find that at? And two, can you give like any more detail, like what that was like? Cause a lot of people yeah. like have this the idea like, oh yeah, I want to write a book someday. Well, that's like, you know, point you know, of that point, like zero, 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 like 1%, like actually go through and, and write something like that because yes, they, I forget what the metrics are, but you're right. It's like 80% of people. Yes. That want to write a book. And then there's some 2% or something like very, very small percent that actually do. But yes, I, I and I'm happy to share. It's called, so it was called self-publishing school at the time. Um, and it was a process, a program that walked you through all the way from rough draft, all the way to, you know, they said, you know, rough draft to bestseller essentially, and helped you do all the pieces, learn how to hire all the people that you needed, learn how to, um, you know, like an editor, a formatter, a book designer, all of those things. And then learned how to self-publish the entire thing and market it and get a launch team together. It walked you through the entire process. And so I, being a very good rule follower, I followed the process. <laughs> <laughs> very good at following rules. And so I followed that process and I did what they said. And I met with my coaches and I followed the rules and I did the steps and I, and I made a book happen. So, so it worked. And I think that's one of the most underrated pieces of what you just explained is like, there's a whole nother aspect or operational backdrop and team that you need. Like writing the book is one thing, but then like getting it out, getting it published, that's a whole nother set of strategies and tactics. Yeah. There are steps. There are steps that I would have never known, right? There are people that I would have never known how to even reach, right? Like how do I, how do I hire an editor? I don't know. I've never written a book before. And so it was fun to have the guidance. Um, I think that especially if you, if you want to do something new and exciting, certainly you could research it and spend years just kind of figuring it out, but it's really nice if you're trying to do something and you really want to be successful. I think it's really nice to have a program that can walk you through something because then you can just say, 
here are, you know, here's what you need to know. Here are the decisions that you need to make. And then it's just done for you. You can just go so much faster. And that's, that's really what I wanted. So going back to um, the survey, like how did you, how did you end up finding the people, you know, that you ended up surveying and, and use their, you know, you know, knowledge and expertise to help start writing the book? Yeah. Initially, I thought I was just going to enter, like, just going to survey like my local area. I was just going to send it out to some friends and have them share it and just do a really small group. And then all of a sudden, I realized, wait a second, this is being shared like much more broadly than I anticipated when people would say, oh, I'll share this. It was kind of going national. And so I thought, oh, okay, I need a different strategy here. So we shared differently, um, worked individually with some people that sort of knew more, you know, had a, a, I guess, a niche in the mom space and were able to share to many different types of moms. And so then I was able to reach further. And then as part of the main survey, asked if they would be willing to be interviewed, asked if they would be willing to answer more questions, go deeper. And then for those people that said yes, then I was able to reach out to you know a good selection of those and have some more deeper conversations, ask some more questions, get some more um, deeper stories, right? Like they might have, they might tell me that they time block or they might tell me that they you know use a planner, but we got to really walk through what exactly are you doing? How are you doing this? What tools are you using? And really just diving deeper into some of the processes they were using. I remember back in my corporate days. So I, I spent 20 plus years in corporate accounting, finance, tax, and operations. And my one of my last roles where I was CFO of a private equity company um, before I you know got into TAMA full-time was um, there was this nonprofit that we were working with. And the the motto was, you know, if you need, if you need something done give it to a busy mom and she'll figure it out. And this nonprofit was pretty much run by a group of moms. And that's the one thing about the, like, I know like how some, some, I know how some of these mom groups are extremely tight and passionate. And you, these women get a lot, a lot out of being in this, you know, sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, community connection relationships, right? That is, that's one of the secrets is that having people around you, having those connections around you can make or break, right? You, when you feel lonely, which we um, have, you know, an epidemic of loneliness, I think right now, many people still feel very lonely. And when you have those people that you feel like you can call, you feel like you can count on, you feel like you can ask for help. You feel like you can ask for support, right? Even if it's not actual physical, tangible help, even if it's just, I need to be able to, you know, vent to you for 10 minutes so that I can then move on and do all of the parenting I need to do. All of those things are so important. And yes, so having that network is huge. So let me let me get pivot back to the book and getting yeah. some details. So my first question will be like kind of a high level. What should people expect to take away from the book from a high level standpoint? And I should also caveat this and I'll probably throw this in multiple times. Like both for moms and do you know, like how many people like myself, like dads read the book? So my, I have a friend who her mom read the book and she goes, Lori, you know, this book is for everyone, right? Like, you know, this book is for dads. This book is for like women that don't have kids at home anymore. And I said, well, yes, the concepts 
absolutely apply to anyone. We can all use help and confidence and habits and time management skills, right? But I said, all the stories are stories about moms and all of the details, all of the how-tos are stories about moms. So could you absolutely apply it? 100%, right? Flip dad to mom and you're totally good to go. But I think that the draw is really to moms. And I was really looking to impact moms because I am one, because Mm -hmm. I see where we struggle, right? And so I, my goal was to help mom who has kids at home who is struggling in one area and really wants to to not. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's one of the reasons why I started really pivoting Tama probably four or five years ago and working with people like you and I that have like mm-hmm. multiple kids. I mean, I, I have several families that have triplets and twins, but I have a lot of few families that have two or three kids or four kids, just not, you know, identicals. And, you know, I... I wonder if you agree with this. I, I have this conversation often, especially with, with parents of three or more. It's like, once you have that third kid, something just changes. And there's there's legit uh, efficacy, if you will, with man-to-man versus zone defense. Like, it's real. <laughs> my So my husband would totally agree with you. I, I have, feel like I have babysat for so long. I feel like there have been children in my life for so long that I feel like there were always children in my life. And so it felt like I was always taking care of someone. But my husband said, oh my goodness, this is different, right? Because baby number one, he could be like, feed her. And she's yeah. hungry, right? <laughs> like, let me hand her to you. And so you have, you know, one baby and it's like, that's fine. You can pass back and forth. You're the parents can get breaks. You know, one parent takes over and the other can get a break. You have these, this ability to, you know, when one baby is napping, right? Like you only have one baby. So baby is napping and, and you can get stuff done or take your own nap. And then when you have two, you at least is assuming that you have a partner, right? You at least feel like, I've got one and he's got one. So we're cool, right? Like everyone's got their own thing. But then when all of a sudden you throw in the third that he was like, you know, you're like, well, who has the third? Like, what do we do now? Someone's always got two. They're they're never going to sleep at the same time. They're never going to. And so I can't even imagine your situation of having three infants at the same time, trying to get everybody to do anything at the same time was probably a complete nightmare, right? Because you just never have a break. Yeah, I, I think it's actually harder now Going back to that that point that Teresa always makes, I actually think it's harder now than it was when they're when they were little because now that they're like you know ten to you know twelve thirteen years if you will, like they they we can never agree on the same thing, and so that makes it much easier to say screw it you know we won't do anything or we're just going to take you know one or two of you or you know, now we're to the point where like Teresa and I could, you know, go away for an hour. I'm like, okay, you know, we're just going away. And what we're, what we're really concerned about is like, are we losing our family dynamic, like our Mm -hmm. core? Because Mm -hmm. when they were four or five, six, seven, even, you know, they didn't have much of a choice, but they didn't really talk back a whole lot then, you know, things were more of an adventure. And so, on some aspects, it helped them, helped, I think, with them all being close to this, you know, obviously triplet same age, but Mac close to being the same age as well, where there was, you know, a lot, a lot more commonality be- between the four of them where, you know, they, they wanted to go to the park or they wanted to go to the game or, you know, wherever that we wanted to go, 
there was more of a willingness to go. And I guess obviously that changes as they get naturally get older, but it it's that it's sure gotten really freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely absolutely understand what you're saying because yes, when they're little and you like and everybody goes camping, everybody goes camping and everyone's, yep. you know, playing in the straight creek and trying to not to, you know, burn themselves in the fire and doing all this stuff and everyone's all together. And now they get bigger and, you know, like my oldest for example, she is like we could go glamping, but I do not like camping. Right? So we go <laughs> camping and she does not love it. Or we go on a trip and they want to, you know, we went to Knott's Berry Farm and we had ages that couldn't, certain ages couldn't go on certain things. Certain yeah. kids didn't want to go on certain rides. And so it felt like we were split all day long. And it was the first time that we really had felt that, that's that split of having to split up, of having to do things differently, of vacations that not everybody is as into as the other. And so, yes, I totally get that. And I think that you're right. It is going to continue to change. We're going to have high schoolers that eventually may, or, you know, or college students that are not going to want to go on family vacations with us and things will just continue to evolve. And, you know, for us, yeah, transitions, (laughs) all the transitions, but I think for us, it's trying to make those individual connections, still making the individual connections with each child and really trying to work on those things all the time. Right. Cause those things change too. your relationship with your, yeah. with your preteen is different than your teen, which is different than your, you know, older teen. And then of course your college student. And so just really working to continue to allow those to evolve, but not allow them to like break, break. Right? allow them to spread apart. Cause they're going to try to do some more independence and how, and we want them to have those things, but not let those relationships break entirely. Yeah. So you mentioned in in the book, you know, there's there's 16 chapters and they represent 16 secrets. Mm-hmm. So I know this is probably like asking you like who's your favorite child, but what are the I'd say two to three really specifics that you think people should know about and and then then obviously get into the details of, you know, reading the book, but you know, what are like the two or three secrets that I think made the most or biggest impression on you. Yeah. Um, I think that, so the very first chapter is habits. So, and that's not just, I'm not talking like the habit of drinking a lot of water or, you know, your the habit of, you know, having a morning routine. Like that's not, it's not specifically that it's really, you're routine. not talking James clear, like, right. It's, <laughs> I mean, yes, some of those things, but really it is having some sort of system routine, something that you do regularly because it makes your life easier, right? So whether that is a morning routine or an evening routine or an after-school homework routine or a bedtime routine, whatever it is, whatever that habit is, when you don't have to think about it, when you are in the habit because your mind just lets you do it, right? Your mind just tells you to do it. You don't even have to think about it. Everything else becomes easier because when we're constantly fighting ourselves with the things we're already going to have to do every day, things like make lunches, right? Things like make dinner, things like feed our families, right? All of those things, someone has to do it. And if it is your job to do it, if it's your task, if it's something that you've taken on, then you've got to find a way to systematize that or routine that in a certain way so that it's easier. Because not only is it easier for mom to not have to think about it or dad, right? It's also easier for the kids because when they're in a routine, they're not fighting back all the time. If you changed bedtime routine every single night, if you did something different every single night, they are going to be higher stress. They're not going to know what to expect. 
And they're probably going to have some sort of power struggle with you, no matter the age, right? Even as they get bigger, those power struggles keep happening. And so it just eliminates a lot of those things. And by eliminating it, it makes our life easier. So the focus that we have, that limited energy that we have, we can put it towards things that actually matter and not towards the minutia of the things that we're doing every day anyway. Yeah, no, I couldn't, I could, I can't stress that enough. I completely agree with you because I think that's one of the things as ours have gotten older, we used to have really regimented systems and routines. And as they've gotten older, we've let some of that go and and break. And I think that's part of our, our struggle today is like we, we're lacking in systems and structure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just makes those things harder, right? Or yeah. like if, if you don't have a homework routine, for example, if you don't have a homework routine, if you're just kind of randomly doing homework whenever anyone feels like it, on the days they don't feel like it, they're going to fight back because they right. don't want to do their homework. We don't want to do our homework. Like no one wants to do homework, right? So when they come home from school, eat a snack, do homework, and that's just what they do, on most days, they're not going to fight it because that's just what we do. We come home, we eat a snack, we do homework. We come home, we eat a snack, we do homework. And so the it just eliminates a lot of those things and eliminates a lot of the stress on the parents, right? Because whether they're doing it because, and they've given a kid a checklist or that, you know, however they've systematized it. It doesn't mean for them, you're not constantly saying, now get your shoes on, now get dressed, now brush your teeth, right? They're following a checklist or they're following a routine and you're not constantly having to remind. And that, you know, takes weight off your shoulders too. So it makes your life easier, their life easier, less power struggles, and then just makes for an easier day. And so that was a just that one happened over and over and over again with the women that I talked to, interviewed, surveyed. Uh, it was just the biggest thing. So that's why it's chapter one, because it's just so important. Did they give any insight or did you glean any insight into like how specifically they did that? Like how they, cause the thing is it takes a lot upfront work to get those routines and yes. systems set. Yes. But then like when you do, and you're maintaining them to your points, it's like life is just moving a whole lot easier and everybody's yeah. probably typically a whole lot happier versus the opposite. So I love a good checklist, right? I love, you know, my personality type is give me a checklist and I'll <laughs> check the things off and I, right, I can follow the rules. But kids like a good checklist, right? Little kids love a good checklist. So even visual checklists, I use this tool, but I found out a lot of other moms do too. So they would create a visual checklist and you could laminate it so you can check things off, but they would make things a picture, right? So if you wanted them to brush their teeth, there'd be a toothbrush. And if you wanted them to brush their hair, there'd be a hairbrush. And they were able to create checklists even for the littlest humans. And then as they get bigger, that it's much easier to do, it's right? It's much because easier. Yeah. It. So like our summer schedule, for example, on days we don't have camp, I do not want my children watching an electronic from like 6.30 in the morning. That does not sound like a smart and, and fun day for me. So mine have a checklist of things that they have to do. It takes them like two hours. It's like a long checklist, but they each have one. It's laminated. They get to check things off of it. They are reading, they're helping the family. They're doing all sorts of different things. And it allows me to work because I need to. And it allows them to independently do a lot of things. And so every... Every day in the summer, they get up and they do this thing. And do I have very many power struggles? I do not. Do I have a little bit? Sure. Some days they don't feel like it, but most of the time I don't. And if every morning 
we were fighting against different things that they had to do. And we had a different plan. And this day they had to do this. And this day they had to do that. We would probably be arguing every single summer morning. And so it's just those types of things. Those strategies were some really tangible things that other moms were using too, to make things happen. And they were using their own checklist too, right? Not just for, not just ones for their children. They were using them uh, in their own life. So what would be, so we talked about the first chapter what would be like your next major point of emphasis or again, the, the one that had the, the most impact on you personally? Yeah, the so my hardest is the chapter, The Secret of Help, because I am very good at not asking for help. I'm very good at going, oh, I could get that done. Oh, I probably have enough time for that. It'll be fine. Oh, I have a block of time that's not filled. I can fill that, right? And so I'm very, very good at just doing and not asking for help. And I am also very good at not asking for help until I am already to the point where I can now no longer function. I have to ask for help instead of going, huh, I should probably ask for help with this and not get totally overwhelmed and burnt out by it. So I am terrible at this, but I realized in the interviews that the women that were doing really well were asking for help. They were making plans with their partner, right? Their partner, they were a team and they were working together and making things happen in the family. They were asking for help from people outside of them, like their friends or neighbors or other parents. They were doing trades. They were, they just were not trying to do everything alone. And as moms, especially, I think we try so hard to just do all of it alone, do it all. And we actually think like at all, not just what, for what all means to us, but do all the things and it's just not sustainable and it is not at in the long run it's just not even possible in in thinking about this this was this was a question that i i just kind of been it's been ruminating in my head since we've been talking is cuz i know Teresa deals with this a lot and a lot of the other families i work with the moms i talk to um they deal with this a lot as far as mom guilt like mm-hmm moms that have a full-time demanding career or business plus you know wanting to see the kids not only just see kids but be involved like go on the school trips you know volunteer for this volunteer for that um is there is there that mom guilt is real right real yeah it is real. It is real. It is felt. It is real. Because uh, I think it's and- different. I definitely. I think it's definitely different for dads, but for moms, I, I to me, I I see it and hear it in the conversations I have with people, and to me, it yeah. seems like right there, real in front of you. Yeah, I think our society continues to change, which is awesome, but there is pressure for on mom to be like old school mom, right? Like 1950s mom. Mm-hmm. And also like 2020s mom who is, you know, a CEO and running an amazing company and do both at the same time. Whereas dad is company CEO, awesome, right? Gets to do those things, but the dad, the da- the home dad part really was never his jam. So and never he never had to do that in the 50s, right? So as he adds on more tasks, he kind of is more celebrated and his mom takes on less tasks so that dad can take on more tasks. She feels the pressure to do both. So I think as the world continues to change- Wait a minute, can you, can you, can you yeah. say that one more time? Cause that yeah. really resonated with me. <laughs> yeah, 
I think that, so dad gets celebrated for the CEO piece because he always has, right? But then he also gets celebrated for the home piece because he never had to do that. So all the extras he does at home, they go, wow, you are such a good dad. Wow. It's amazing that you go to work and then you come home and you do dishes and you like do bath time and you sit down and do homework or you play ball with your son, right? They, they get celebrated for these things where moms feel whether or not the, whether or not the pressure is real, they feel the pressure that the home stuff, of course I have to do that. And the work stuff, well, of course I have to do that. Of course I have to do all of the things without input from a partner, without help, without a nanny, without housekeeper, without, you know, a team at work, without anything, I have to do all the things. And so I think that as we change and continue to remind moms that that's not sustainable or possible, and no one ever could have done that, right? No one did. And no one ever had to do that, that those things are impossible. We have to come together as partners, right? So that it's not equal. And I'm putting air quotes. I I don't think anything is ever perfectly equal, right? But feels balanced in our relationships. And if you're on your own, if you're a single parent, right? That it feels balanced with being able to do what you can do and what your kids can do and what those people that you love in your life can help you with. And I think that we just have to keep working through that because the the guilt is real, but it is unnecessary. We don't have to feel that guilt. We don't have to feel like we are failing all the time because probably if we really looked at it, we're probably not failing. We're probably doing pretty stinking awesome. Yeah. I think that's where I think we're, we're probably way tougher on ourselves than, than anyone else. And I think most of the audience probably knows this about me, but like I started, I actually started my firm Tama the day my triplets were born. So it'd be 13 years in December. But I kept my full-time corporate career going as I was building the firm. Yeah. But we got to a point about six years ago where Teresa and I sat down. We're like, we, this is not sustainable anymore. Like we can't have, you know, four kids, I think, you know, under five or six at the time, you know, Tama, my career, her career. And we're like, this just is not working anymore. Like one of us has to be here Mm -hmm. Um, and take a more bigger role, like basically like being the CEO of the, of the household. And because we just felt like we were like beginning to lose our kids because growing up, we had help. We had, you know, family support. That was, that was more like a nanny to us. We had, you know, nanny help. And, but, you know, as they got older and things started changing, like, yeah, this isn't necessarily working anymore. And so, that's when we made the decision that I would roll into Tama on a full-time basis, given that I would have the work flexibility to be able to pick kids up from school, get them on the bus yeah. and things like that. And like, I never wanted to sign up for that job. I never thought that I was capable, to be honest with you, of, of that job. And here we are, you know, six years later and a lot of, you know, bumps along the road, but, you know, everybody's still healthy and kicking, if you will, and including myself and, and, you know, Tama's thriving. My kids are doing great. And, you know, it's, I think, I don't think we take enough time to step back and take Mm -hmm. stock of, okay, how well things have gone and how, how really lucky we are. Yeah. Agree. And well, and I think too, we, we don't think so. My husband is trying to grow his career. I'm trying to grow mine, right? We're, and I have a business and, and we have four children. And so, at some points, we both can't be doing that, right? We right. both can't be 
full in at our career and full out at home, right? We've got to be able to either slow the climb or we have to, or one of us has to be willing to, like you said, you went, you went full bore into your business. Transition. Yeah. You did a transition <laughs> because you, because you guys needed that flexibility, right? Sometimes that's mom that does that. Sometimes mom takes a step back for flexibility. Um, but I think it's also just really being able to communicate your expectations because yes. like you said, I, you know, I never signed up for that. Well, because somewhere in your mind, you expected that someone else would do it or that she would do it or right. Like you never thought you would do it. And I'm willing to bet that I have the same things, right? Like I'm thinking, oh, that has to be me, but does it have to be me? Yeah. Could it be my husband? Could it be that we hire more help? Could it be, right? There are so many options, but we have these expectations, whether it's from the way we grew up or the people in our lives that it will be a certain way. But most of the time, those words never come out of our mouth. Like I thought it was going to be like this because that feels, you know, scary and vulnerable. And, you know, and we don't actually say those words to our spouse, you know, and sometimes the spouses might be on the same page, right? I never thought this would be me. And I never thought this would be me. Oh, okay. Well now we're in a spot right now. We still, it has to be one of us or maybe both of us yeah. so now we've got to make some decisions and have a real communication about it. And when we're not talking about it, then that's when it starts to get yucky and we start to have resentments and we start to, you know, fight and have, and have all those, those things that we don't want. Well, it's ironic that you said that Lori, because that was exactly, that was the exact position that, that Teresa and I were in. It's like, neither one of us, I always use the term, I don't think either one of us were built to be stay at home parents. And so we're like, well, crap, how are we going to (laughs) navigate this? And, you know, and like I said, like, it's just, it's, yeah, I, I work with a lot of people that are in transition from from a career standpoint, whether they're, you know, job downsize or let go, laid off, you know, whatever it may be. And that is that is really difficult because of how much of our our of our identity that we put into our careers, mm-hmm. for better or worse. It I think it's just a, the kind of like the lay of the land these days. But you know, going through that transition, and I I actually went through that years ago myself. Um, you in the heat of the moment, you 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 don't realize that there's another side of that mountain, if you will. Like it will be better, but you just at the moment you just have to take it in and accept the hurt and the pain and the feelings that you're going through. Um, and it can be really challenging for some people to say, okay, I've let that in. I've experienced that. Now it's time to move on. Some people just sit there and that's, that creates even bigger issues. But for the people that I've worked with, including my, myself, like you don't realize like that there's all these other opportunities on the other side that are going to be so much better, but you just never allowed yourself to think about that or put yourself into that position because I would have never thought of it being a blessing and to help myself personally and my business for that matter to have, have myself help my kids get on the school bus every day or off the school bus every day. And like, that's, it's, um, it's a tough one. Like I'll start getting emotional. So yeah, no, I totally get it. It it is. You don't realize like you do your identity is wrapped up into so often our careers, right? Like mine is, I, I know this, right. And my husband's is we, we have these things, but you're right. There are so many other pieces to life that can be so much more powerful and even a bigger, stronger, more 
like an identity that you can attach to even more, right? That yeah. is that is outside of that. And and we are whole people outside of what we do, right? We are ju- like we are whole people all by ourselves without all the things that we do. And so I think we need to let more people realize that, let more people be that way, right? Instead of having to feel like, oh, it's only going to I'm only important if I have a job. That's amazing. I'm only important if I climb the career ladder. One of one of the last because I'm I'm looking at the time like I only have you for finite periods I could I could have another hour with you at least so that just means <laughs> I'll have we're gonna have to have another conversation uh, sooner rather than later but you know through the process of writing the book and your research did did the the word burnout come up a lot and so much and how how do moms deal with that sense of burnout because like like your second point was like asking for help and it sounded like you got to the edge of that or maybe even the, a, a foot over the cliff before you're like, uh-oh, I, I need to ask for help. Yeah, it really was. So I would call it burnout. I wasn't in a physical state of burnout, but I was definitely in a mental state of burnout. So my experience of burnout was I hated everything. I hated the things that I loved doing. I hated the things that I had to do. I hated the things that I wanted to do. I hated my schedule. I hated everything because it was so packed full of all the things that I did not give myself a chance to take care of myself. And I didn't give myself a chance to have any time to to choose. So it all felt like things I had to do, even when it was things I wanted to do. And so, yes, burnout comes up all the time. And I think that it really is us trying to do too many things, thinking we have to do it all, thinking that it has to be us, that everything has to be us. And there are almost everything in your life that someone else could do, right? And maybe even better <laughs> than you, right? Yeah. Things that, like, I don't want someone else tucking my kids in every single night, right? I want to be the person that does that most of the time if I'm not on a business trip. I want to be that person. But I, but could someone do it? Sure. And all the other things in the world that we do, work, home, and in between, there are someone else that could do those things. And so being able to lean on the people in your life that you love, being able to trade with the people in your life that you love, being able to ask for that help. But also I think it's that as moms, especially, and and the research shows this, moms will give up caring for themselves to care for the others in their lives, to care for their children, to be, to care for their teams, to, they will, they will give their absolute everything to those other humans and things and spaces in their lives before they, so if somebody needs something, but it means I have to get rid of my workout on the mom's side, mom will get rid of her workout. Mom will get rid of her healthy lunch. Mom will get rid of her drinking any water today. Mom will get rid of her extra hours of sleep that she was so counting on so that she could feel good for next week. She'll say no to those things to say yes to those other people. And we have to, we have to take care of our physical and mental wellness, or we just, we can't keep going. And, and most moms that experience somewhere further down burnout, they've ignored all the things that have come. They've ignored all those signs. They've let that happen over and over and over again. And they don't think it's going to be that big of an impact, but it becomes this habit of saying no to you and yes to everything else. And then you get to a point where you're crushed, right? And now now yeah. you need help. Maybe you need pro- like professional help. Maybe you just need help in general, but you get to that edge and um, and then it's hard to to climb back over on your own. Yeah. In financial terms, I would call that like reverse compounding. 
So, you know, compounding can work in both directions to the positive and to the negative. And um, I think it's really how you put that was so elegantly or so elegant um, because I know I, I have many conversations with, with moms and spouses, partners on that very topic. And um, I think there's, I think intuitively, like when you get to that point, you, you know, like obviously with you, you probably knew something was wrong and you needed to figure out how to fix it. I think that's where people get stuck. It's like, okay, well, how do I fix it? Like, because there's no like one silver bullet. It's, it's getting back on the, you know, the positive side of compounding and starting to do things over again and routine, um, that can get you back on there. Small too, right? Like we think, oh, now I'm in this horrible spot and maybe it took me years to get here and now I need to change it and make it better today. Right. Right. I need to do all the things differently. And that just doesn't work. You can't, you you can't do that. So it's about going, what is a small thing I could do today to change this? Could I make that consistent? Okay. Could I walk for five minutes at lunch just to clear my head and to get some sun and to breathe a little bit? And then could I make that a longer walk? Could I get, could I take more of those breaks and just really trying to put in those small things and allowing those to add on, you know, to compound, like allowing those things to grow on each other. And I think that we just need to give ourselves permission to do it. So your book, just to remind the audience, the secrets Secrets of Superman. Superman. Yep. And then we'll link to your website. Is that the best place for people to find you and your work? It really is because that's where you can get the book, the podcast, um, you know, all the articles that we've published, the connection to all the socials. That's really the best place. Yeah. Okay. Well, I already like, I'm looking at my sheet of questions. I'm like, I got maybe halfway through it. So <laughs> that means it was a great conversation as always. So, so um, let me get to my, my final question that I ask all my guests is what is the best thing about being a parent? I think it has to be those small moments that just those little moments where, you know, like I, I was just on a work trip and I came home and mine all ran into the kitchen and just gave me the longest hug. And I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't more than probably 60 seconds, but it, like a 60 second hug from your children is amazing. Right. And that was it. It was just this moment of so much love. I could tell they missed me. I was, they were so happy to see me. And it's just everything. It's just those little moments. That is awesome. I think that's that's a really fitting way to, to, to wrap up our conversation. So Lori, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And uh, like I said, I, I think we'll have a few more conversations in our future. Paul, totally such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.